All right, um, let's, uh, let's pray tonight and uh, we'll get things going, amen. Father, thank you so much uh, for everyone who's uh, joining, uh, Lord, this class tonight, either present in the room or online. I thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit, and Father, we humble ourselves before you and before Him tonight, Lord, recognizing and acknowledging Him as our teacher. Jesus, you said that um, you would pray the Father and send Him to us and that He would lead us and guide us into all truth. And so, Father, I thank you tonight for the commitment that's represented uh, here. And Lord, I thank you for uh, honoring that commitment. And Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit and Him uh, teaching us tonight things that uh, we've never heard or learned before. And for the difference, Father, that that's making in our lives. Father, I not only pray for those who are taking this class now, but Lord, I, I pray and give you thanks in advance for all of the men and women that these folks are going to minister to, are ministering to, and will minister to in the future. So Lord, may your name be glorified above all tonight. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. We pray, amen, amen. and amen. So welcome. If this is your first night, uh, be sure, don't do it now, but be sure and, and register uh, before you leave, and you can just uh, uh, leave that registration form on the uh, table there. If, um, if you were here last week and uh, have not yet checked in, it's honor system, uh, find your name on the roll, make sure you check under the column that says obviously class number two. And, um, and that's basically how we'll keep rolling. It'd take uh, a while to try to call names and all this other stuff. So um, let me tell you what uh, some of you do not know, and that is uh, while we were here together last week, we had 312 people join us online and watch this class with us. So, amen. So we welcome all of those folks uh, who are joining us uh, tonight uh, in different places, uh, uh, even overseas, praise God. And uh, so that's the, uh, that's the amazing thing about uh, technology, praise God. So we want to make the most of it. Um, tonight, let's uh, begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And um, I don't have a slide yet for this. I just felt prompted right here at the last minute uh, to have you turn there as we begin. So um, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and look at a couple of verses um, here as, as we get started. Praise God. Um, I don't know if I, I think I may have said this last week. So um, there is a completion certificate offered uh, for uh, this course. Um, it does require your attendance in 30 of the 36 classes. Um, and for the first time last year, we had some, uh, some people who actually completed it online. Uh, and so, again, that's honor system. Uh, you know, shoot me a text, respond, Facebook, what have you, email, just to let me know. That's kind of how those folks can check in. Um, so I think that's a generous attendance policy, uh, 30 out of 36 classes. And, you know, if you're on the bubble, because we do record these classes, video and audio, uh, you know, we start getting towards April, what have you. Again, I'll work with you. Uh, we believe in grace and truth here. Uh, so the main thing is we just want you to, uh, to benefit uh, from the classes. Amen. Let me also say uh, that it's extremely encouraging for you not just to be at class number one, but for so many of you to be back class number two. Sometimes folks uh, stick their toe in the water in class number one, and they're like, man, I just don't know if I can do that. That's a, that's a big commitment. And it is a big commitment. But um, uh, you're also building your endurance, praise God. And um, so thank you for hanging in there, and we just believe in we'll keep you full of coffee and, and the Holy Spirit, and we'll just uh, we'll keep rolling. Amen? Amen? All right, so 1 Corinthians um, chapter 2, and verse number 7, it says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Now look at me for just a moment. Tonight we're going to talk about, um, you know, the, 
that you have an eternal Father. Amen. God is, is, is an eternal God, and He created you for an eternal purpose. And um, sometimes wrapping our hearts and minds around the concept of eternity is, is a bit challenging um, because our brains only know things that have a beginning and an ending. Um, and so this is why the Bible says by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. In other words, it's, it's beyond what your meat computer can process. Because the way your brain works is it, it, it goes into the file cabinet that is your brain and it looks for something to relate whatever you're experiencing, uh, you know, something you can relate it to. And since there's nothing in the file cabinet to relate eternity to, it's difficult for your brain to comprehend it. But the heart, amen, is where faith is. Faith is a function of the heart. And this is why he says by faith, by, by using the faith you've been given to believe what the Word of God says. And, and that's not check your brain at the door. Please hear me. Now, for those of you who are very scientifically, analytically minded, that doesn't mean, well, we just wink, wink, nod, nod, pretend it's true. No. By faith, you literally come to a confidence that this is, this is the way it is, and it's, it's a, it becomes a reality um, in your life, right? But if you notice in this that, that Father God has the wisdom you need to live your best life, He put that in place for you before the ages. Before the ages. Let me tell you what else happened before the ages. The Bible says Jesus agreed to be your sacrifice and to be your Savior before He ever created Adam and Eve. He was the Lamb of God slain from before the foundations of the world. So Father has an eternal plan and an eternal purpose for your life. All right, Verse 8, Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, okay? He's quoting here from the Old Testament, but he's talking about something that goes beyond anything you've ever seen. Something that, that goes beyond anything you've ever heard. And something that goes beyond anything you've ever imagined in your wildest imaginations. This is what Father God has prepared for those who love Him, right? Just curious, anybody here tonight, anybody watching online tonight, love Him. Amen. Okay, four, four of us. No, okay, praise God. All right. See, one of, one, of the things that, one of the things that happens is we take verses like, for instance, all things work together for good. You know, all things work together. For, no, it says all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose, to those who love Him are you following? and are called according to His purpose. We, we sometimes try to include ourselves in things that maybe we're not meeting the prerequisites to be included in, right? So again, it's, it's for those who love Him. He goes on here in verse 10, because he quoted this from the Old Testament. Now notice that these things that we've never seen, never heard, never imagined, God is revealing them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Now he goes on to say, what, what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Meaning what? Nobody knows you like you know you. But nobody knows God like the Spirit of God knows God. Amen. And so he's come to reveal Jesus to you. He's come to reveal these deep things to you. Alright? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. He's talking about things here that God has for you. God has to give to you, has given to you. Also things that Father God has 
in, when it says prepared for you, this is talking about the life that He's prepared for you. This is talking about the opportunities that He's prepared for you. This is talking about the potential, the gifts and callings that He's placed within you. Amen. Alright? So, verse 12, one of my favorite verses. It says this, Now we have received. So if we read it tomorrow, it's going to say now. If we read it six years from today, it's still going to say now. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Alright? Now, what is he saying here? He's saying that you as a child of God have already been given some things that you don't even know are yours. And these things are so grand, these things are so amazing, that apart from the Holy Spirit helping you connect with them and see these things, you will never even know they're yours. Now, a few things that we said last week that I want to review as we begin tonight, okay? Discipleship is not about becoming something you're not. Discipleship is about discovering who you've already become the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Discipleship is not about trying to get God to give you something that you need. He has already promised to meet all of your needs, and the Bible says He's already given to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. You're going to hear me say something along these lines a lot of times, amen? Because this is life-changing. This is, this is when He speaks of the renewing of the mind, transforming your life. If you, can, if you can allow the Holy Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to help you in this area to renew your mind, amen? that everything you need has already been given to you. It's already been provided. It's already been put in place. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Not just everything you're going to need spiritually, but everything you're going to need physically. Everything you're going to need mentally. Everything you're going to need emotionally. All the joy you will ever need has already been given to you. All, all the, the, the love that you will ever need has already been given to you. Every, every vehicle you will ever need in your lifetime even the tires that you're going to need for those cars. Come on now. Let's get real about it. What all things have been given to you. This is, this is the love that your Heavenly Father has for you. So notice now, he says that we have been given. Now we have been given. Not the spirit of this world. That's the spirit that we used to live under and used to be dominated by. Amen? But not anymore. Come on now. Not anymore. Right? We've been set free from that. So... Now we have been given, not the spirit of this world, but we have been given the spirit who is from God so that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. You have been given things tonight. I have been given things tonight. There are things that belong to you. There are things that belong to me that we don't even know are ours. This is the promise. This is the hope. Somewhere I got to this, this ledge last week and never went on past it. Amen. And that's what he says to us in 1 John chapter 3. Not only... That, that it doth not yet appear what we shall uh, be like, but when we see Him, we will be like Him. But this is what he goes on to say. You ready? Those who have this hope in themselves, this confident expectation, the Bible says they will purify their lives even as Christ is pure. In other words, what is he saying? He's saying that an understanding of these things is what will motivate us to get the garbage out of our lives. Not, not fear, not shame, not guilt, not condemnation. Not, not some uh, pastor mishandling the Word of God, using it as, as a billy club to attack you with it. That's not, that's, not, that's not the way God operates. Amen. He says when we understand this love that He has for us, when we understand what He's done for us, and what He's given to us, and who we are in Christ. Amen. 
that this confident expectation, this hope, is what will motivate us to abstain from the things we need to abstain from and, and, and pursue the things that He's called us and created us to pursue. Amen. Now, I said all that to begin here tonight. Amen. And that is, as a born-again believer, you, my friend, you, my brother, my sister, we're a part of something big. Come on now. We're not just a part of something big. We're a part of something that's big and forever. Something that's eternal. Something that's big. Something that, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit talked about before time began to be counted here on this planet. And something that will continue long after things are the way they are right now on this planet. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming one day. And things will not always be as they are right now. And we're in the briefest sliver of time, the briefest sliver of our existence that we will, we will ever experience during our days now here upon this earth. Amen. You are a part of something big. You are a part of something, let's just make sure we spell it out. You are a part of something much bigger than yourself. Amen. And you have an enemy that's tried your whole life to keep you ignorant of it and blinded to it and running from it. Amen. But we're not ignorant anymore. We're not blinded anymore. We're receiving a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. And we are certainly not running from our purpose and destiny any longer. We are running to it. Amen? Amen. You say, Pastor Mark, how can, you, how can you say that? See, again, you may not understand it yet, but your presence in this room, you watching this online, amen, this is you running to your destiny. And got there yet, but discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation to your destiny. We'll get there tonight, amen. Alright, so thank you. Thank you for being here. And I'm not just saying thank you on, on my behalf. I'm saying thank you, on, first of all, on behalf of of your Heavenly Father who loves you so much and has been working 24-7, 365 every second you've been on this planet, even before you came to this planet, to get you the truth and wisdom you need to live the life He created you to live. And, and, and it's amazing sometimes you know, how we can devote ourselves to so many other things and never really sit still long enough for Him to teach us what we need to know so we can live the life He created us to live. So thank you on His behalf. Thank you, praise God, on behalf of all the people that you're going to positively impact because you're learning the truth, you now become a weapon in the hands of God to be used in powerful, dramatic ways to make a difference in other people. Listen to me, please. Anything God does in you, He then wants to turn around and do through you. And He always has somebody else in mind. Amen. He sees you as an individual, but He also sees all the other people that you have within your sphere of influence that you can work, work with and minister to. And as you begin to do that, it's amazing how your sphere of influence will continue to grow and increase to the glory of our Father's name. Amen? Amen. Alright, so let's do a quick uh, review. Uh, we looked at just what we call discipleship overview. And the first thing we said is that discipleship is our Father's way of bringing us to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus came to bring us grace and truth. Grace is what saved us. Thank God for the grace of God and, and, and how that grace has brought salvation to us. Amen. But remember, He said that He wished His desire, his, he, he would that. Amen. His desire was that, that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There are a lot of people who've been born again. They've received grace. But they're just struggling in all kinds of areas of their life because they, do, they haven't learned the truth yet. They don't know the truth. So, amen. We'll... 
develop that more as we go. The other thing we said about discipleship number two is that discipleship is an uncommon commitment. Discipleship is an uncommon commitment. And, and, and the Scriptures compare it to the uncommon commitment that uh, world-class athletes make uh, to compete uh, you know, for world championships or gold medals or, or, or what have you. Um, and, um, and Paul said they put all that time and effort and discipline into receiving a crown that perishes, a trophy that will one day melt with fervent heat. Amen? But not us. And notice he said that we're not as those who beat the air. You, you ever seen somebody shadow box? You ever seen a, box, a boxer just, you know, he's, he's boxing an imaginary opponent. He says we're not, we're not boxing an imaginary opponent. We're not as those who beat the air. In other words, what we're doing is not without, uh, without uh, reward or benefit. Um, and, 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 and the effort that we put in um, is something Father can then use to produce good things in our lives and in the lives of other people. Now, number three, we said discipleship is a process intended to reveal Christ in us. To reveal Christ in us. And this is um, where we ended on last week. Um, uh, let me, if I could, just uh, quickly, those of you who are not here, give you a couple of words. Um, say that again. Amen. Uh, amen. Somebody said you should have been here last week, but I don't know who that was. No, I'm just kidding. Amen. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Me and Miss Betty. No. Discipleship is a process intended to reveal Christ in us. You know I'm kidding with you, Miss Betty. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. She's the only person that's ever got up in one of these classes and came at me. Amen. To receive healing, praise God. Amen. Amen. All right. I tell folks if you you know if you if you gotta go, go that way, not this way. Amen. No, I'm kidding. All right. So discipleship is a process intended to reveal Christ in us. Um, now this is you know, we can talk about uncommon commitment, we can talk about learning the truth, but what we're getting to right now is the guts of discipleship. And um, I, I gave you a couple of words uh, last week. Um, the Bible says you have not so learned Christ in Ephesians. That word learned in the Greek is the word manthano. Manthano, all right? And derivatives of manthano are the words methetes, or some people say methetes, and methetria. These words are gender specific, with this one speaking of males, this one speaking of females, all right? And uh, these are the words that are translated in our English King James Bible, New King James Bible, what have you, a disciple, right? So a mephites would be a, a male disciple, a mephitria would be a female disciple. And what we understand by this word learned is it's, it's talking about someone who puts forth an intense effort to learn by experience, okay? So manthano, also we could say that's the word for discipleship. It means to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. So this would, we could say it this way, it's the highest form or the highest level or the highest degree of learning. Right? So, you know, we can be curious about something. You know, we have an interest in butterflies. Uh, sister Terry Croswell, she knows so much about butterflies. Our dear sister, Amen Tense Church here, some of you know her. Um, you know, we could have an in, you know, these kinds of things. 
um, curiosities. In other words, there's different levels of, of interest and commitment to a, to a skill or a trade or a craft. Um, it's like someone who's become a master electrician or someone who's become a master in, in some form of martial arts or, or what have you. All right? So the idea is the, the higher level. So discipleship, by definition, involves an intense effort. That's why it requires an uncommon commitment. It's an intense effort to learn by experience. See, a lot of us know a lot of things about the Bible, but we know it theoretically. We do not know it experientially. See, you can learn everything the Bible has to say about tithing. You could write a book on tithing. You could go teach seminars on tithing. But you'll never know tithing until you tithe. Until you do it. Right? Until you experience it. Until you experience the results that it produces in your life. Amen. So, so what did Father say in the Old Testament? Taste and see that I'm good. In other words, he wants you to experience Him. He wants you to experience His ways and His wisdom. And see, that's when the, the, the devil's lies, does, they don't work anymore um, when you experience God and His ways producing what only His ways can produce and what only He can produce in your life. Okay, So, that's uh, Manthano. Now, the word that, that corresponds, and I know that we went over this last week, but I want to I go over it again, please, because I, I feel like, and I, and I do it most years, uh, I get so excited, man, it's like I just try to give you 36 weeks in the first two, you know, one class, you know, and that's, that's not going to happen either. So I want to slow down here, make sure we get this foundation in place, and then we'll move on to some new things, all right? So Didasco, again, is the highest form, degree, or level of teaching. And, and so when you have someone teaching uh, from a Didasco perspective and mindset, and someone learning from them with a Manthano mindset, um, what happens then is the person teaching literally becomes assimilated into those being taught. Now this is a big word, but if you look at the root of this word, it's the word similar. Similar. And so the idea behind assimilation is it's, it's, a, it's the process by which things are made similar or assimilated. Are you still with me now? It's really, really important. So what we see then is that Jesus taught from this place. In other words, Jesus, Jesus was a didactic teacher. Um, he taught for the purpose of, of assimilating Himself into those that He taught. Into what? His disciples. Um, a disciple wasn't just like somebody who drank the Kool-Aid and, 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 and you know was a groupie or something, followed Jesus everywhere he went. That's, that's not what it was, right? A disciple was someone who responded to Jesus with an uncommon commitment. They didn't walk away when they didn't understand some of the things he said. They recognized, he knows things we don't know. What he's saying right now is not making sense to me, but where else can we go? He has the words of life. Notice that uncommon commitment there. That willingness to, to do what Jesus said do, even when it didn't make sense. See, that's how you learn by experience. Remember, they experienced that fish and bread multiplying in their hands when those thousands upon thousands of people were fed in two different instances in the Bible. They participated in that. 
We don't see Jesus excluding. He don't, we don't see Jesus saying, "All right, sit down, boys, and watch." No, he says, "Get up, get up, brothers, and let's let's work together." In other words, he wanted them to not just hear about or even witness his miracles. He wanted them to participate in the performing of them. Why? It's because he's trying to reproduce himself in them. He's trying to assimilate himself into them. Again, this, this, is, this is what discipleship is about. So when we say discipleship is the process that, that Christ in you is revealed. See, if you've been born again, He resides in you right now. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So for us, at the spirit level, He's, he's already in you. Now it's just a matter of the, of the Jesus that's in us being revealed and, and, and shining, if you will, living, if you will, through us. Amen. Um, Leonard, Leonard Sweet and Frank, uh, I think it's Viola, they wrote the book, The Jesus Manifesto. And in that book, they make this point in such a simple way, but it's so profound. And they say it something like this, and I'm just going to paraphrase. They said, imagine that you're a piano player, and you aspire to be a really great piano player. And, and, and so people keep telling you as a piano player, be like Beethoven, be like Beethoven, be like Beethoven. Well, man, that's like, <laughs> that's, that's pretty high aspiration there. Because basically he's one of a kind, right? And so many times when it comes to Christianity, we labor under this message of be like Jesus, be like Jesus, be like Jesus. That's really not the Gospel. The Gospel is you want to be a great piano player and Beethoven comes and lives inside of you and begins to play the piano through you. That's the Gospel. That's Jesus coming and living inside of you and then us learning how to let Him live through us. That's the Gospel. That's us becoming like Him. We're already at the spirit level of our being just like Him. And so discipleship is the means by which the Jesus who lives in you now being revealed, people being able to see Him in you. Remember at Antioch, they were first called Christians at Antioch. People weren't giving, they weren't complimenting them. That was intended to be a slant. It was intended to be a derogatory term. But obviously they, you know, like the cross they we, you know, wear around our neck, they, they wore it um, and, 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 and were honored to be called that. But the reason they call them Christ-like is because they were like Christ. And people who you know, didn't even necessarily know the Lord as far as being born again, but knew of Jesus from Nazareth and the history that He had left on the earth, right? They're like, man, these folks just like Him. So this is what we see in Luke chapter 6 and verse number 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Amen. So we see Jesus is, is wanting to... Tr perfect means complete. Right? So everyone who is completely trained will be like his teacher. Not above him, but will be like him. This is, again, this verse right here, like so many others that speaks on discipleship, this captures an aspect of discipleship that I'm, I'm not sure people fully understand. Obviously, and we'll get to it probably tonight, you've got to take up your cross and follow Him if you're going to be His disciple. That's a really important discipleship uh, verse. 
But it's not just carrying a cross to be carrying one. It's, it's so that we can be like Jesus in the earth. Amen. Alright, let's go now to Romans chapter 8. Romans the 8th chapter, praise God. Is this making sense to you so far? Experience what He knows. Do what He did. Live like He lived. Um, glorify Father the way He glorified Father. You know, we can just go on and on with it, but absolutely. Him living in us and then Him ultimately living through us. I don't know if I said this last week or not. I, I, I teach some different classes, so if I'm being repetitive, I, I apologize. But it, you know, God didn't create you because He was looking for something or somebody else to rule over. He created you because He wants to rule through you. He wants to live in you and He wants to rule through you. Praise God. So do you understand now, and again, I appreciate the Holy Spirit directing us to 1 Corinthians as we begin tonight. Um, do you understand when I say we're all a part of something much bigger than ourselves? You know, the devil's tried so hard to, to frame what a Christian life is supposed to be and, 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 and he loves to present it to folks in the light of what you can't do. And, and he wants us to think of Christianity as a, as a life of restriction and, and thou shalt not. But my friend, please hear me. It's not what you can't do, it's what you can do. It's, it's what's before you, it's what's, it's what's in reach now and the kind of life and the level of life that Jesus made available to us the day we were born again. And so, amen, it's just, I know I keep saying it, but the Holy Spirit just keeps turning it over in my heart. You're a part of something big, man. This is big. This is big. Eternal. Praise God. Yes, sir. Him living in us starts at the new birth when we receive Jesus as our Savior and are born again. Amen. It's a great question. Absolutely. The Bible says at that point we become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And He comes, our, our heart literally becomes His home. It becomes the, the temple, our body becomes the temple, and our innermost being becomes the Holy of Holies. Amen. Yeah, so in other words, it's not so much that he lives in them, but I personally believe, some folks disagree with it, but I personally believe in what the Bible calls an age of accountability. You know, in other words, obviously as they get older, I was born again when I was five years old. Um, I, I was, anyway, that, that doesn't make me better than somebody that was born again. My grandfather was born again 65 years old, right? Um, but, you know, obviously I was, I was raised in church, had parents that, that instructed me in these things, and, and the Lord was really dealing with me. It was, a, it was a legitimate salvation experience for me because um, I already knew at five years old I was called in the ministry. And one of the ways I'm confident of that is I didn't want to do it. I, I, did, I had no desire to be a pastor, to preacher, teacher, none of that. I wanted to be a medical doctor. And, and I remember that Sunday night when I walked the aisle to receive Jesus that it was a factor in like, you know, it's just one step closer to that preacher thing. You know what I'm saying? So, um, but I'm, you know, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying some folks become aware of these things sooner than others you know that sort of thing we we've had children here my wife's led children to the lord even younger than five in children's church um so but it's a great question praise god all right romans chapter eight I, I love to give you these like one verse at a time but sometimes we have technical difficulties doing that so i'm just going to put um you know both verses up here 
Um, Romans 8, 29 and 30. Um, it says, For whom He foreknew, and this He, of course, capital H, is speaking of, of God, whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. Now, I'm not trying to, to pick some you know, doctrinal scab or, or argument or whatever with, with somebody. Um, there's a lot of people on planet Earth today in organized religion who are very confused about this idea of being predestined. And we see people have taken this verse and they've created a whole doctrine of predestination around it without ever really just looking at the simple reality of what this verse is saying. And notice it says, first of all, whom God foreknew. To foreknow means to know before, to know beforehand, right? And so, can you imagine for a moment, God sitting up on planet Earth and looking down there going, hey, where'd that guy come from? Who is he? No, see, he foreknew us all. Come on now. He foreknew us all. So the concept here is, the truth here is, those that he knew foreknew, he also predestined. Don't let the word throw you. It just means God made up His mind about something before He created us. He knew us before He created us. And before He created us, He made a strategic decision. And that strategic decision was He predetermined that each one of us, our destiny is to be conformed, to be conformed to the image of His Son. Right? So are you seeing, again, when we talk about this, something bigger than you, something that's eternal, before Adam was ever created, God knew us. He's all-knowing. Again, your brain knows what to do with that. Your heart does. Somebody may be having trouble with this. Let me just... I, this helped me. The Lord helped me with this uh, some time ago. and it's, it's a way to explain it. All right? Uh, I have a, a Yorkie. Matter of fact, he's in my office. Uh, no, don't go mess with him right now. Okay? But he's asleep in there. I have, a, I have a beautiful Yorkie the Lord blessed me with. A little Yorkshire Terrier. It's Colonel. His name's Colonel. Um, that's not Colonel of Corn. That's like Colonel in the military, you know. And uh, anyway, um, and he's smart. He is one smart puppy, all right? He gets ready to go to bed before Pam and I get ready to go to bed. And, he, and he, he strategizes on ways to get us to go to bed. I'm not kidding you, all right? Um, he'll put on a show for us and then stand there and look and then take off running to the bedroom. And then we don't come. He'll come back in there and look around at us like, are y'all not coming? You know what I'm saying? So very smart, very, very smart, right? Okay? But as smart as he is, he's not as smart as me. He's not as smart as you. Right? I have a level of intelligence that supersedes his. Pretty arrogant for me to think no one could have a level of intelligence that supersedes ours, right? Supersedes mine. In other words, if I can be that much smarter than a dog or a chipmunk, right? Because my dog's smarter than a chipmunk. I'm not saying a chipmunk doesn't have an intelligence, but he doesn't have the intelligence that other created beings have. Are you with me still? All right, I'm going somewhere with this. All right. So why is it so hard? It's not that big of a leap now for me to think, well, you know what? I'm this much smarter than Colonel, and God is way much more smarter than I am. Much more smarter. See, I'm not even smart enough to use the right language, right? But you got the point I'm trying to make. Okay. So, again, he's, he's an all-knowing God. And before He ever created a single one of us, He made some decisions. And I, I think it's important here because especially when we start talking about the new birth and what, what He did for you through the new birth, it's important for us to be reminded 
that both at creation and the new birth, we didn't have a say-so in this. It wasn't like I went to God and I said, look God, you either create me to be like Jesus, conformed into the image of your firstborn son, or don't create me at all. I had no say-so in this. In the same way that when He, when he bought, bought my salvation, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't go to Him and say, look, if you're going to save me, you either make me one with you or you don't save me at all. He decided to make me one with Himself. He decided to seek me in heavenly places with Jesus. He decided to create me and predetermine before He did that my ultimate destiny was to be just like Jesus to Him, to be conformed into the image of His Son. Now if you read the Scriptures closely, you'll see that Jesus' title changed. He used to be called the only begotten Son of God. No longer is He the only begotten Son of God, but He is now the firstborn among many brethren. Amen. So He predetermined for us to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. And moreover, whom He predetermined, predestined, what did He do for us to, for that to become a reality in our lives? He called us. And those He called, He justified us. This is a salvation word, justified. That word justified there means just as if I'd never sinned. He came to take away your sin. Remove sin out of the picture. So never be a factor in your life ever again for all of eternity. These He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. Amen. Amen. That word glorified means to promote, to prosper, to raise up. Amen. And that's exactly what Father is doing in our lives. Amen. Now, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. It says that love has been perfected among us in this. I apologize. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, the Lord is good. Amen? You don't mind me praising Him a little bit while you're turning, do you? Amen. Praise God. All right. First John chapter 4, verse 17. It says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Anybody remember school, report card day? Report card day, what was it? It was a day of judgment, right? Come on, that was a day of judgment. And nothing like, now I'm older than, than some of you in here, it used to be we got these report cards and these little blue uh, folders, you know, and the report card was folded in half and stuffed down in there, and you had the same one, and they didn't do it by, by uh, you know, computer printer, that was before all those days, right? It was handwritten grades, right? And that last report card, I mean, it had been on there the whole time. You had the same one that went all the way through, right? It had been there the whole time whether or not you were promoted to the next grade. And there was something about that last report card, right? And I'd take that thing and I'd, I'd squeeze it and look down in there, you know, make sure. Amen. In other words, I didn't have boldness on the day of judgment. Never mind, I'd made really good grades all year. It was still something about that day of judgment, right? Well, he's saying that his love can have such a place in our lives and do such a work in our lives that we can have confidence and actually be bold the day we stand before Him. Not be afraid, not be intimidated, not be uh, anxious, stressed, but have boldness in the day of judgment. This is what 
I believe. If we can be bold and confident on that day, there's not a day between now and that day we can't be bold and confident in. Amen? Why? Because as He is, so are we in this world. As He is, so are we in this world. Now the Bible says Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus came to this earth searching. He came looking. He came, we, we might even say it this way, He came hunting. He came looking to find, right? To find those who were lost, but also to take those who were lost and make them disciples. Remember, Jesus didn't just say, go get people born again. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. It takes a disciple to make a disciple. You were created by God to be a disciple maker. Amen. 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 I'm getting excited about that right there. Amen. So Jesus was and still is looking for people who will make the commitment necessary for Him to be able to pour Himself into and make similar to Himself. Right? In other words, that, this is exactly what he's wanting to do. He's, he's wanting, through the discipleship process, he's wanting us to go from having some interest in him to following him to increasing the level of our commitment to be a disciple. If you're a disciple, what did he say? You'll continue in the word, you will know the truth, the truth will make you free. Right? And we see that in Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas taught him for the space of about one year. And at the end of that year, committed disciples were first called Christians. First called Christ-like. Amen. Alright, now, fourth thing about discipleship, and that is discipleship is an attitude. Discipleship is an attitude. Alright? So, notice there's kind of a mix here. You know, we're talking about Father bringing us to the truth, but we're also talking about an uncommon commitment. We're talking about Christ being revealed in us, but now we're also talking about an attitude. Discipleship is an attitude. Alright? Now, um, I think it's interesting that these words are not only related, but they're so similar in, in the way they're, they're spelled and the way they sound. Alright? And that's the word aptitude. Aptitude. A-P-T-I-T-U-D-E versus or and attitude. Aptitude and attitude. Okay? Now, when we talk about aptitude, let's just simplify it by saying your, your inherent ability. In other words, what you are capable of doing. Now, we've already established that it's more than anything any of us have ever heard or seen or imagined. Right? Christ in you the confident expectation, the hope of glory. So, your aptitude is Christ. Christ in you. Come on now. <laughs> ah, listen to me now. Don't, don't choke on this. Don't choke on this. John 14, 12, Jesus said, the works that He did, you will do also, and even greater works because He goes to His Father. That is the aptitude of every born-again believer. 
It is the aptitude of every born-again believer to lay your hands on the sick and the sick recover. It is the aptitude of every born-again believer to speak to foul and violent weather patterns and, the, and them obey you. This is the aptitude of every born-again believer. The aptitude of every born-again believer is more than a conqueror. The aptitude of every born-again believer is I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. The aptitude of every born-again believer is whatever I put my hands to, it prospers. The aptitude of every born-again believer. And I could go on and on and on. Alright? This is the inherent ability that resides within you right now. Okay? But then we have this other word, attitude. Now, I would imagine in a crowd this size that there was somebody in this room, more than one somebody probably, that we talked about grades in school a moment ago that your report cards perhaps never truly reflected your true aptitude. <laughs> right? Let me say it another way, okay? We got a bunch of straight-A students in here that never made straight-A's. Wasn't because you didn't have the aptitude for it, you didn't have the attitude for it. See the difference here, right? See, the, see how these words work together? So, when we talk about Christ in you, that's aptitude. But now we've got to have an attitude that corresponds with that. We've got to have a discipleship attitude, a discipleship mindset. Amen. Now, I hope that this is encouraging to you and not discouraging. Amen. Are you following, you following what I mean by this? In other words, when you start really realizing these things that, man, I've got all this potential. I've got all, all this opportunity. I've got this power and authority. You know, casting out devils is the aptitude of every born-again believer. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Amen. You have the greater one in you. Praise God. So that's the aptitude. We, we just need the attitude. I like to say it this way. You're but a renewed mind away from doing the works of Jesus. Amen. That's, that's the only thing holding you back is your thinking. It's your attitude, your mindset. And so don't be discouraged by that. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Amen. A brother wrote a book along, along these lines, and I, I'll be honest with you, I've, I've talked about this. It's the one book I've talked about more than anything that I've never read all the way through. I've read most of it, right? I love the title of the book. The title of the book is what attracted me to the book. And it, the, the title is simply this, Could It Be That Simple? Could It Be That Simple? And he's talking about the renewing of the mind, the reconditioning of the mind. Amen. And yes, it is that simple. Now, the first words of Jesus' first public sermon were repent, repent, repent. Okay? Now, if you, like me, were raised in church, you maybe were raised to kind of think that repent meant stop sinning. Repent meant you're going in the wrong direction, you need to turn around and go a different direction. Just curious, anybody besides me ever answer one of those altar calls, right? Rededicate. Amen. Right? I rededicated a bunch of times. I got saved a bunch of times. I really only got saved once, but, you know, I mean, it's like, why risk it, dude? I mean, hell's, hell's forever, so, you know, amen. So, you know, amen, right? Um, and, and so... You know, I, I'm not 
being critical of anybody, I thank God for the men and women that taught me when I was, but somehow I made it into my late teenage, early 20s, late teenage years, early 20s, before I ever really understood what this word really means. And this word repent is a Greek compound word, metanous, nous being mind, meta speaking a change, a change of condition. So the message of repentance is a call for a new condition of mind. It's a call for a new attitude. It's a call for a new way of looking at things, um, or we could even say a new way of looking at old things, or, a, or, a, or don't look at new things from an old perspective. It's a new way of looking at things, both new and old. Now, Jesus... I could take a long time to do this. I, just, I want to just kind of be brief here, right? We, we had hundreds of years from the end of the Old Testament till Jesus arrived in the New Testament when heaven was basically silent. There was no prophet, no, no one uh, speaking on God's behalf. Thankfully, in the Old Testament, we did have prophets and kings and priests, what have you, that would speak on God's behalf. But if we rewind the tape all the way back to the Garden of Eden, what I call the scene of the crime, when Adam and Eve sinned, and God shows up, and He does what He does best, and when I say does best, God shows up and He begins to speak. And that's important. Because when God speaks, He releases Himself, and it's impossible for Him to lie. Bill Winston said it this way, if God walked up in here and said, today is Tuesday, it would become Tuesday. That's why he can't lie. You follow what I'm saying? Amen. He can't lie. So when God says something, it, it is, it will be done because He am, right? And so He says there in the midst of that devastation that one day a woman will give birth to a seed that will crush the head of the serpent. Well, He's speaking code. Because seed doesn't come from a woman. Seed comes from a man. God created reproduction, so surely He knows that. He was talking about the seed, capital T, capital S, Jesus. Right? That one day He was coming. And we waited all these generations. And He finally comes through the womb of the Virgin Mary. But because He was born of a virgin, but also born under the law, we had to wait 30 years for Him to begin His earthly ministry. So we wait another 30 years and now he begins his earthly ministry. And he opens his mouth and he begins to preach. And what does he preach? He preaches repentance. First point was repentance. Second point was identity. Now I don't think I'm reading something into this as far as the priority or the importance of those two subjects. We waited all these years for Jesus to come. We waited 30 more years for Him to speak. He finally opens His mouth in public and begins to speak. And His first sermon point is repent. And the second sermon point, right? I mean, we say repent. Attitude, be attitude, right? And then He speaks on identity. Now, here's the thing about attitude, right? Jesus came to change everything. He came to change the way we relate to God. He came, he came to change the way we worship God. He came to change the whole sacrificial system. He came to change everything, to make all things new. And He knew that if people didn't change 
the, the mindset and the way they looked at things as far as the old was concerned, they would completely miss the new that He was bringing. So, when we say discipleship is an attitude, we can never overstate the importance of our mindset, our perspective, the way, the way we look at things. Let me, I'm wanting to move on, but attitude, we could just talk forever about attitude. Let, let, me, let me just say this, okay? The reason your attitude is so important is because your attitude towards a thing determines how you respond to that thing. Your attitude towards a person determines how you respond to that person. doesn't matter if your attitude's wrong. In other words, you think that person's a jerk, but there's somebody God put in your life to help you. If your attitude towards them is she's a jerk, you're, 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 you're going to respond to him or her like they're a jerk when they're not. Your attitude towards a thing, your attitude towards a person, your attitude towards God determines your response. And so Jesus knew if the attitude was wrong, the response was wrong. If the response was wrong, it's going to cost him their eternity. All right. So discipleship is an attitude. Yes. That's a great, great point, great question. Obviously, we're going to talk more about these things in the days ahead. But let me, let me. So, notice if if I have sinned, the Bible says that if I confess my sin, He's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. All right. But if I never let Him help me change my mindset, my attitude, my thinking, I'm just going to keep repeating that same behavior over and over again, right? He said it all the way back in in Isaiah. He said, your ways aren't my ways because your thoughts aren't my thoughts. You're not living like I created you to live because you're not thinking the way I created you to think, right? So he, He will abundantly pardon. He even says that in Isaiah. If we ask Him, He'll forgive us. He's a forgiving God, right? But if we'll let Him help us with the way we think and renew our minds, okay? And so thank you for, for, for pointing that out. So, but for me, again, I, I understood repent mean to stop sinning. And, 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 the, and what he's really saying here is, let me help you change the way you think about these things. Right? Let me help you change your attitude, your mindset about these things. Because that's, that's the, the root of it. The behavior is just the fruit. The inward uh, attitude and thinking is, is the root. And, and until, until that's changed, and, unless, and again, that's, we can't change that without the Lord's help. We, you know, amen, we, we simply can't do it. So for instance, when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom is at hand, repent for the kingdom is at hand, Jesus came to the earth and brought His kingdom with Him. But if people still thought along the lines of the kingdom is three heavens away, very difficult, if not impossible to access, right? They're, they're going to completely miss that the kingdom is as close as their outstretched hand. It's right there. Reach out and take it. Right? So there's all kinds of mindsets, and, we, and we'll get into this in, in, in the days ahead, I promise you, okay? There's all kinds of mindsets. There's, you know, one has to do with with um, 
with our righteousness. If you're born again, you've been given right standing with God as a gift. You have been made, the Bible says, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's a whole lot of folks who have been made righteous, but they don't, their attitude towards themselves is not that they're righteous. They don't see themselves that way. They don't think of themselves that way. They think of themselves as a sinner. They think of themselves as an addict. They think of themselves as whatever, right? And, and notice that thinking keeps producing that same kind of behavior, those same kind of actions in our lives. This is why the Bible says, let the poor man keep whining about being poor. No, let the poor man say I'm rich in him. Let the weak man say I'm strong in him. Let the sick man say I'm healed in him. It requires zero faith to talk about how poor, how weak, and how sick we are. But when we realize that our aptitude, it's not up there, right? When we realize that our aptitude is, is, is strong, our aptitude is wise, our aptitude is, is, is we're prosperous, right? That's our aptitude. We've we got to get an attitude to go along with that. And yes, it really is that simple. <laughs> All right, so I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to stir you up, but I guess I am trying to stir you up. Um, I heard Brother Keith Moore uh, preach a sermon on this, and it really, it really impacted me. And um, so I just want to just quickly share it. Um, if I was to ask you, did Jesus preach a message of love and acceptance? Um, most people in this room would probably say yes, and 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 I would, I would say yes to that as well but that's really not what he preached i'm not saying jesus rejected people jesus did accept people but what jesus really preached was a message of love and repentance right and 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 the reason for that is um he loved us in the in the mess and condition he found us in but he loves us too much to leave us in that condition and mess and so he he loves us but but he loves us enough to tell us the truth. Amen. And so, praise God. So, again, Jesus' message was a message of, of love and repentance. Now, let's talk about some of these just other verses. Why? I'll give you some from the Old and New Testament. This is one of my favorites, uh, Matthew 6.22, that speaks to this subject. This is Jesus speaking. He says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. He goes on to say, if your eyes be evil or bad, your whole body be full of darkness, and if the light that's in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So there's a principle here, there's a principle here that, that has to do with our individual focus. It's what we choose to make a priority in our life. Right around this same point, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Also, right? Now, who decides what you treasure? You decide what you treasure. You decide what you make a priority in your life. And whatever you decide to make a priority, your heart will eventually gravitate towards that thing. Okay? You say, well, you know, Pastor Mark, I'm really not sure I'm into this whole discipleship class thing. Just keep making it a priority. Just keep making it a priority. Because what you choose to treasure, your heart will eventually... You say, well, my heart's just not in it. It will be if you keep making it a priority, if you keep treasuring it, right? Amen. And this works for you or against you. So when he says, if the lamp of the body is the eye, the lamp of the body is the eye, this, this word lamp here is not speaking of like a light bulb. It's speaking of an oil lamp. And the way an oil lamp works is there's a wick that drops down into a reservoir, and when you light the, you know, ignite, or set fire to the top of that wick, the fire, the flame, draws uh, 
uh, oil, fuel, through the wick and feeds the flame. It creates a drawing effect, right? And so Jesus says, your eye is like that lamp. In other words, whatever you set your eye on, you're going to draw to yourself and you're going to be drawn towards, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's the law of attraction. It's a spiritual law. So the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. This word would be perhaps better translated if your eye be single. Because when he talks about if your eye be bad or evil, he's talking about someone that has double vision. In other words, there's something wrong with their physical eyesight. He's obviously drawing a spiritual parallel here. But he's talking about if someone has, let's say, some, some issue, some uh, you know, sickness or problem with their physical eyesight, and when they look, they, they see double or triple. You know, it's, right? This is what he's talking about. The, tr- the trick of the enemy is to try to fragment your focus. Try to divide your focus. Because he knows the law of attraction. So we talk about a disciple. Remember, Jesus told him to leave all. He told him, forsake all. Um, I, you know, obviously there was strategy in the twelve that he selected. Um, but we also see that other people had the opportunity. There was a young, rich ruler, right, who came to Jesus. And Jesus gave him an invitation to come and be one of his disciples. And, and, but yet he, he wasn't willing to leave his wealth and all that behind. Now, again, you know, that's not like you've got to go sell everything you have to be a follower of Jesus. That was something unique to that individual because money was like a god to him. I'm not here to teach you all that, but I'm just trying to show you that the, the opportunity wasn't just given to those twelve. It was given to other people um, to be disciples of Jesus. Um, but you know, if, you're, if your focus is fragmented, so when we, we start talking about discipleship as an attitude, Part of that attitude is a singular focus. A singular focus. Okay, let's keep going here. Let me just run through a few of these. You can write the references down. Let's try not to take the time to look them all up. Deuteronomy 4.29, it says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Right? In other words, God is there to be found, right? But it requires an attitude, that singular focus, well, we're going to seek Him with all our heart, with all our soul. It's the attitude of a disciple. Jeremiah 29, 13, And you will seek Me and find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. That's Jeremiah 29 and 13. And then John chapter 6, verse 68. I think we mentioned this verse last week. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Remember, Jesus just preached a sermon that thousands of people did not understand, thought was gross, and walked away from Him. Later that afternoon, evening, what have you, he's sitting around with his uh, close inner circle of disciples and he says to them, are you going to leave me also? And Peter says, where else will we go? You have the words of life. But the interesting thing is if you keep reading, the, the inner circle of disciples did not understand the sermon either. But notice their attitude. The attitude of a disciple says, I may not understand all of this, but I know because Jesus is saying it, it's got to be right. There's treasure in that field and I'm going to keep digging instead of walking away and quitting. Alright? Now, number five. Number five. Overview of discipleship. And this is our fifth point. Discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation into the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny. Discipleship, and it's lengthy. Amen, I apologize for rushing them earlier, so I'll leave that one up there for a minute or two. You're welcome, sister. 
Love you, Sister Betty. Praise God. All right, discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation into the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. I'm going to leave it up there for a minute while you're writing. Praise God. This is an important one. They're all important. This is an important one. Discipleship is the bridge. Do you understand the concept of, 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 of a bridge? Let's say you're on one side of a river and you're trying to get to the other side of the river. How do we cross it? How do we get over there? What's going to get us from point A to point B? In, in this example, point A is you've been born again. Your eyes are being opened to some things that God has a purpose and a destiny for your life that was put in writing before you ever lived a single day of your life. How do we get from where we are now to actually fulfilling that purpose and destiny? How, how, do, we, how do we bridge this gap? Okay, what is, what is the means to get us from where we are now to actually doing what it is that Father God created each one of us to do? Discipleship is that bridge. Let me try to say this another way. You will never fulfill your purpose and destiny in life apart from being born again and making that uncommon commitment to be a disciple of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You, you, I'm not saying you can't you know, limp along or get by or whatever, because certainly a lot of people do. Okay, But Father, <laughs> did I say earlier that you're a part of something big? Amen. You follow what I'm saying? Something really big. And there's a lot of folks just get enough of God in their lives to get some relief and never really dig in beyond that. Or they get enough to make themselves happy and satisfied, but never really want to take that next step to become a man or a woman that God can use to make a difference in the life of somebody else. Amen. Now, why is purpose and God-given destiny important? That's the sweet spot of life, my friend. When you're doing what you've been put on this earth to do with the people you're supposed to be doing it with, where you're supposed to be doing it, when you're supposed to be doing it, I'm telling you, there is no greater joy. There is no greater satisfaction. There is no greater contentment in life, when you're, do, when you're doing what God created you to do, that, my friend, is the sweet spot of life. And if you ever taste that, you, you will be, and I mean it in a good way, but you will be ruined for the rest of your life. You'll never be satisfied doing anything else. Amen. And, and part of that purpose and God-given destiny involves you and me stomping a mud hole in the devil. And that's why he's tried so hard to keep people from ever you know, committing themselves to the discipleship process to bridge that gap from being a born-again believer to being someone who is, you know, revealed, Christ is being revealed in and through their lives, fulfilling their purpose and God-given destiny. Now, let's, um, praise God, let's, uh, let's go through, Amen. Let's look at some verses here. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. Um, amen. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Matthew chapter 9 verse 35. We're going to look at a few verses um, here. Praise God. Matthew chapter 9 beginning at verse number 35.
It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That's very important. He preached not just the gospel of salvation, but He preached the gospel of the kingdom. We'll explain that in greater detail later. The gospel of the kingdom includes the gospel of salvation. That's one of the problems we have in the body of Christ today is that those who've heard the gospel have only heard the salvation part and have not had the gospel of the kingdom preached to them. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom and notice, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And among being weary and scattered, sheep having no shepherd are what? Extremely vulnerable to the wolves. Extremely vulnerable to the wolves. Then he says, then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Okay? Now, if we go from there to Matthew chapter 10, verse number 1, it says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. Now, I want, to, I want you to get this picture because the, the times have changed, but the picture hasn't. Let me say it another way. There are still very weary people scattered like sheep with no shepherd, vulnerable to the wolves, the demons in this world. And although we still have, uh, you know, praise God, when Jesus said the laborers are few, He was literally, basically Jesus was the only one that was trying to help and was trying to do these things. We see His plan. His plan was to equip, empower His twelve disciples, send them out in six pairs of two to go and do what He was doing in other places. Multiply the efforts, right? Today though, conservative estimates, there are approximately one billion, with a B, one billion born-again believers on planet earth. And the laborers are still few. The laborers are still few. Yes, brother. I thought you was worshiping over there. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> no, it did, right? He chose them, and obviously um, He gave them power over the unclean spirits. But faith without works is dead. I mean, you got, I, 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 don't, I won't try to be funny about it. Sometimes I, I do a little, almost like a comedy routine. You know, I'm finally in the ministry, dude. I'm here I am, right? I'm, I'm one of the men standing up there in the prayer line, you know. And, uh, and so here comes this sister to be prayed for. You know, and I'd never thought about it until she stood in front of me. You know, I'm fixing to anoint her with oil and lay hands on her, and I'm like, you know, I mean, she had this like $150 hairdo. I'm like, man, what? You know, I mean, it's like, do you, you know, I'm, you know, I, you know, it would have been easier if it had been a young man or something. You know, I could have, you know, gave him that evangelist, grabbed him by the side of the head or something. You know, I was like, you know. So the point I'm trying to make is, you know, 
there was a first time where there was somebody demon-possessed that they had to do what they saw Jesus do a whole bunch of times. So yes, He did give them the power, but then they had to activate that by faith. right? They had to step out on... They actually had to get off their backsides and go, go do it, right? You see what I'm saying? And that's where the faith um, kicked in. And it's where it kicks in for me and you, right? Because we've been given that same power and authority, but are we doing anything with it? Speak up, they say, so they can hear you. Amen. Okay, amen. Amen. You've been predestined, brother. Yes, sir. Crack it open and take it out. Right, okay. All right. Um, labors are few because there's some labor involved, isn't there, Sister Betty, right? Amen. There, there might be some inconvenience involved. You know, there might be some late nights involved. There might be some actual early mornings and some work involved, right? How about this? There might be some rejection involved. There might be some people to tell you get off their front porch. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yes sir Chuck, real loud. Absolutely, and, and, and Jesus told them that, that that would happen, but He told them not to, not to retaliate, shake the dust off their feet and move, move on, right? Because for every person that rejects you, you're going to find a lot of folks that are not. You're going to find a lot of people that, 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 uh, that are hungry for what you have to, to, to give to them. Um, but man, you, you know, if that first door gets slammed in your face, that, that's a lot of folks back down and you know, going something else. So, amen. So yes, for those of you listening online, and if you think you can't hear good in the room, those people online, they're, they're probably firing up Facebook right now. What is he saying? What is he saying? Right? So... Um, so the question was, did, were they just chosen to be conduits or did they do what they did by faith? And that's why I said the answer was yes, it was both. Um, Jesus empowered them and then they stepped out in faith and did that. I also want you to notice now, what did Jesus ask them to do? Jesus didn't say, initially he didn't say, um, hey guys, I need a little help over here. Is anybody interested in helping me pray for these people? He didn't do that. Because first of all, Jesus realized that although 12 more hands helping, you know, would be a, a great blessing, 12 more hands were not going to make that big of a difference when you're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of people, right? So he said to the 12, you pray for laborers. So that was their instructions initially. They began to pray that more people would come and help. And notice as they prayed for more people to come and help, <laughs> they realized, you know what, we could probably do some more ourselves. You see what I'm saying? And as they became the answer to that prayer in the sense that that, so I believe even the, the, them praying for helpers helped build their faith to become the helpers um, that they were. All right. Now, turn with me to Luke chapter 10 and verse 1. Luke chapter 10 and verse number 1. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Luke chapter 10 and verse 1. Who's, who's ever heard that the day of miracles and healing, that all ended with the death of the last apostle? Anybody ever heard that lie before? Okay, some of you. All right, okay. So, amen. Um, look at what it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. It says this. It says, 
After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. Alright? 70 others. And sent them two by two before His face into every city and place where He Himself was about to go. Alright, now look at what's happening here. We go from Jesus healing the sick, all manner of diseases, casting out devils, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now He sends out um, uh, six pairs of two uh, to go and do the same thing. And they experienced the same results that Jesus was experiencing. Now, and we know the names of those twelve, but now we see that He went beyond the twelve. Twelve plus Jesus is thirteen. Now, we're going from 13 to 70 more. 70 plus 13 is a total of 83 now. 70 others also, their names are recorded in heaven, but we don't know who these men and or women are. We don't know this, right? But what we do know is that Jesus sent them two by two before His face in every city and place where He Himself was about to go. Skip down with me to verse 17. It says, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in Your name. And He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Now, I want you to picture this as you study the Scriptures, especially these... Uh, you know, miracles in the life of Jesus and these different events. Use the imagination that Father gave you. Amen? Use that imagination and try to imagine. Let the Holy Spirit help you picture this. This really happened, my friend. This was a, this was a huge milestone. Not just in the earthly ministry of Jesus. This was a huge milestone in the history of mankind upon planet Earth. Right? So the 70 go and do what Jesus told them to do by faith, right? And guess what? They're laying hands on the sick and the sick are recovering. They're casting out devils and the demons are leaving. And this just astonished them. So they come back just all fired up. Think your team just won the championship. That kind of fired up, right? Anybody ever been in an experience like that, man? You, you just won the, the, the whatever, man. You got, I mean, it's just joy unspeakable, joy overflow, high-fiving, you know, laughing, talking about, yeah, man, remember that one guy? His arm was all, you know, they're just like telling the stories and just, just I mean, could not be more excited. And they look at Jesus, and, they, and, and this was what just so amazed them. They said, Jesus, even the demons were subject to us in your name. Can y'all believe it? Right? They're just you know, carrying on like that. And Jesus says, don't rejoice in that. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, now think for a moment here, okay? Why would Jesus tell them not to rejoice in that? Jesus doesn't mind people rejoicing. 
But what Jesus understood that so many of them didn't understand and what so many of us don't understand is that demons are supposed to be subject to you. They're no match for a child of God. Are you following what I'm saying? It's kind of like, um, it's, it, it's, it's kind of like the, the football coach, uh, Coach Bryant was like this, right? If, if you scored a touchdown on one of Coach Bryant's uh, teams and cut a fool, and this was before you get a flag for cutting a fool in the end zone, right? If you scored a touchdown and cut a fool in the end zone with Coach Bryant, he'd put you on the bench. Right? He trained his players. They scored a touchdown. Be respectful. Be a gentleman. Go hand the ball back to the referee and trot over to the sideline unless you were involved in the, in the point after. Right? And this is what he said. He said, when you go to that end zone, you act like you've been there before and you'll be back soon. Right? Instead of acting like this is some rare event that we may never happen again in us and you know, look at me, I scored a touchdown. He, he said, you shouldn't be acting that way. That's what Jesus is saying here. He said, you shouldn't be taking a victory lap here. You're embarrassing yourself. They are beneath you. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? My, uh, uh, my beautiful mother-in-law, she's in uh, some physical therapy rehab. Lord, just so good to her, spared her life. She had a 100% artery blocked in her heart. And, and, um, and just thank God, man, they were able to put a stent in. and just. But, you know, lay in the bed for about 11 days. And so, anyway, they wanted to go get some physical therapy. And she's like an outstanding cook, okay? I didn't gain weight eating Crystal Burgers, all right? My wife, my mother, my mother-in-law. Um, amen. Outstanding cooks. And so part of her, because she lives by herself, she's 84 years old, still lives by herself, drives her car, comes to church, all that stuff, right? So they told her, they said, uh, they said, okay, and she was telling us all about, you know, like what she'd done in therapy and all these things, you know, and, and um, she goes, guess what they want me to do tomorrow? I said, nanny, I have no idea. What, what do they want you to do tomorrow? She goes, they want me to fry them an egg. And I guess because the therapist wanted to make sure she could cook for herself and all that stuff, she said, I told them if they'd get me some uh, milk and flour, I'd make them some biscuits and gravy go with that egg, right? <laughs> in other words, what? The, the, frying the egg was nothing to her. She could do it one hand time behind her back blindfolded, right? Um, in other words, you see, you see what I'm saying? Jesus, like, you know, you like running some victory lap because you fried an egg. You know, that, that you should be able to fry an egg. You should be able to cast out a devil. Now, if this is making you nervous, I'm not trying to make you nervous, but you know, some, part of this whole process is let's get things back the way they're supposed to be. Let's get, let's, let's get the understanding back the way this understanding is supposed to be. Now, I told you that this wasn't just a historic moment in the earthly ministry of Jesus. It wasn't just a historic moment um, in the, the, the 70 men and women that did this. It's kind of like um, when, when we stepped on the moon and said, you know, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. This was a giant leap for the human race, right? And let me explain to you why. We find it in verse 21. In that hour, the Bible says, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said. Now, that word rejoiced, or that phrase rejoiced in the Spirit, um, is a bit misleading, right? If you look this word up in the original language, it doesn't mean that Jesus was kind of sitting there going, man, this is so good. No. This word rejoiced in the Spirit literally means, are you ready? That He danced, He jumped in the air, and spun around. Alright? Now, so again, you're talking about a touchdown dance. Praise God, where does the time go? Amen. Yes, Brother Jack. Say it loud, Brother. Brother. 
Amen. I, you know, there's a, there's a lot of opinions about that. Malachi says anytime anybody gets together to talk about the Lord, he records it in a book. So it could perhaps be that what they did, you know, we, we like to take pictures of our kids and, and, and family and all other stuff. We get that from our Creator Father. I believe that when we get to heaven one day, we'll get to watch Goliath, you know, head be taken from him by David. These things recorded. So it, it could simply mean that... Um, that what they did on these missionary trips uh, was recorded. Um, it could mean that, obviously, because God's an eternal being, that their names were written there and that they were going to do that before they ever did it. That's not a, a stretch for me uh, either. Some people have tried to take the leap, you know, and go to... Um, let me... I, I'm not trying to stir up controversy here, um, but, you know, the Bible... There's a, there's a registry of, of every human being in, in planet earth, uh, in heaven. I mean, God knows everybody that's come and gone, right? You follow what I'm saying? I think two people a second depart from this planet by way of the grave. Two people a second depart from this planet by way of the grave, all right? If you could see into the realm of the Spirit, there's a whole lot of departures and there's a whole lot of arrivals, okay? And somebody in heaven's keeping record of every one of them, right? Are you with me? Praise God. All right, but there's a difference between your name being written in heaven and your name being in the Lamb's book of life. Okay? Some people think those are the same book. It's not the same book. Alright? It's one thing for your name to be written in heaven that you, you were born on planet earth. It's another thing for your name to be written in the Lamb's book of life that you've been born again. So, I don't know if that's what you're referring to or not, sir. You got it. So for those of you watching online, he, what he said, and it's 100% accurate, their names could have been written in heaven and even all these things they did recorded. I mean, you know, what Judas did was recorded in the Bible. <laughs> I, I hope he got right before God before he did what he did. But anyway, but praise God. But, the, the, you know, it's not the same as being born again and your name being in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because so. even if you look back in, in the days of Moses, you know, they were like, you know, Moses is like, God, just blot my name out if you're going to blot them out. You know, so anyway, yes, source. Yes, sir. Amen. Yeah, I, th I think all that's got to be related, connected. To set, set, those of you watching online couldn't hear or stop. It's, it's names written in heaven, seated with Him, all that. Praise God. Hey, well said. All right, amen. Now, let me... Do y'all realize we're like almost done for the night? Can you, did it go by fast for you or did it go by fast for me? Okay, all right. What happened? All right, so let's get this part, at least this part, all right? So again, Jesus, in that hour, what happened in this hour? In this hour was when the 70 returned and gave report to Jesus about the sick being healed and demons being cast out in His name by those 70 people. Okay? And the Bible says that in that hour, upon receiving this report, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit that He literally danced a jig. I mean, no disrespect, Lord. 
All right? He danced a jig, whatever that looks like, right? He jumped up in the air. Jesus got ups, right? He jumped in the air and did, I don't know, 360 whatever and spun around. What's the, what, why, what are we trying to... What's being communicated here? Jesus was happy, man. Jesus was excited. Jesus, Jesus was, it was fired up. Jesus was, was you know, fist pumping. Jesus was, was hooping it up. He was celebrating. Why? Because there was a return to normal. There was a return to demons not ruling over people, but people ruling over demons. Not sickness ruling over people, people ruling over sickness. This, this glimmer of hope, again, why would He have responded this way? Because this was a huge part of what He came to this earth to do. Why do you think He says something like He said in John 14, 12, if, if I go to my Father, you'll do the works that I do and even greater works than these. Amen. In other words, this was a part of the original plan. And now that we have 70 plus 12, 82 human beings taking their rightful place of authority in Christ, taking their rightful place of authority, having dominion over devils and, and diseases and, and sickness and poverty. Jesus is excited about it because again, this is how it was supposed to always be. The kingdom on earth. Thank you, sister. Praise God. Now, <clears throat> Put this on the screen because this is important. Every, this is a key word right here. I'll underline it with my hand. Every, not most, not some, every born again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Every born again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Not just the pastor. Not just, not just the uh, evangelist. The evangelist and the pastor are actually called by God to equip born-again believers to do the work of the ministry. And one of the real problems we have in the body of Christ today is that the born-again believers think that they're supposed to enjoy whatever it is that the pastors and evangelists do while they watch the pastors and evangelists and the prophets and the teachers and the apostles do the work of the ministry. The overwhelming majority of the labor force in the body of Christ is either not interested in doing the work of the ministry or do not know, have not been told that it is an opportunity available, it is a calling available to every single one of them. If you are a carpenter by trade, you are still called by God to do the work of the ministry. If you are a computer technician by trade, you are still called by God to do the work of the ministry. And any other profession, any other endeavor... That, that we could name. Called to do the work of the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21, it says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Let me give you that. I should have put that whole reference um, up there. Ephesians chapter 4, 
Maybe uh, you're familiar with it, praise God. Um, but let's, uh, let's just look at it, praise, praise God. Alright, um, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 and um, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. And we'll probably land this plane right here tonight, okay? Is everybody good? Everybody comfortable? Everybody get anything, get, get anything out of this tonight? Is it helping you? Okay, alright. Amen. Alright, so Ephesians um, chapter 4 verse 7. It says, But to each one of us grace was given. Each one of us. Individuals. Each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay? Remember, He gave Himself. He gave Himself. Let's say it another way. Um, the, the grace that we've received is not in proportion to what we think we've earned or deserve. It's not based upon um, your good works. You know, like sometimes religion looks at it this way. Well, you know, she was raised in church. Um, she was a virgin when she married. She's memorized a lot of Bible verses. She's great with kids. She's gone to Sunday school, blah, blah, blah. You know, she's deserving of, of this great gift, right? But, you know, this other guy, man, he didn't come to Jesus until he was 18 and this and that. You know. No, no, that's not what he's saying here. It's not based upon what religion thinks we've earned or deserved. The grace that each one of us has been given is according to the measure of the gift Jesus gave for us all. All right? So that takes it to a whole other level right out, right out the gate. Okay, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. All right? Ascend means to return. He ascended not just back to heaven, but he ascended to the throne of the universe. Now this. He ascended. That means he went up. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Right? So we say what goes up must come down, but it's exactly opposite in the kingdom. What goes down must go up. That's with humility, and that's certainly what Jesus did. So, He descended in the lower parts of the earth. He who descended, He went to hell for you. He went to hell for you. As your substitute, he bore death for you. He bore sin for you. He bore poverty for you. He bore sickness for you. He bore death and hell for you to set you free from it. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that He might now feel all things. And He Himself, Jesus personally, Gave some. Notice some here. This is not all. Some. Some He gave to be apostles. Some prophets. Some evangelists. Some pastors and teachers. This is often referred to as the fivefold ministry gifts. Okay? Now, there are men and women in this room who have been given fivefold ministry gifts. Not everybody in this room has been given fivefold ministry giftings. Okay? But some of you have been. Amen. Now, Notice when what did God do? He puts a gift in a person and then gives that person to the body of Christ. Are you hearing me? This is how it works. He, he puts the gift in you and then gifts you and the gift He gifted you with to other people. So He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Okay? 
Why did He give them to the body of Christ? Verse 12, He gave these men and women to the body of Christ for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. There is no comma. Some people read this for the equipping of the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry, comma, for the edifying of the body of Christ, comma. That's, there's no comma. Five-fold ministry offices have been given to the body of Christ to equip the saints, born-again men and women, that's what a saint is, to equip the body of Christ, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. My job as pastor-teacher is to take the labor force of born-again men and women and equip them, equip you, to do the work of the ministry. Are you, are you, are you seeing this? For the edifying of the body of Christ, he goes on to say, till we all come to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the, ma to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Again, there's that whole deal. We were created by God to be like Jesus. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 15, But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined it together, whatever joint supplies, according to the effective working board. Every part does its share, causes growth of the body that infects of itself in love. It's a lot of preaching there. I don't have time for it right now. We'll get to it later. But let me just say this, okay? Just say this. Notice, we are growing up into Jesus in all things. And that happens when anointed men and women of God speak the truth by love into our hearts. Amen? We're growing up into Jesus, and as we grow up into Him, notice, it's not a matter of whether or not you're called to do the work of the ministry. It's a matter of how equipped are you to do it. It's, 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 you know, it's like, oh, I can't do that. You can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. So that, again, we're back to the aptitude. We just need the attitude to go along with it. Amen? Alright, so let's... Uh, we'll stick a fork in it right here. Father, thank You. Thank You, thank You, thank You for what You're revealing to us. Thank You, Father, for... Lord, just the Spirit of God in this room this, this evening, Lord, the Holy Spirit who's here with us. Father, you can make an hour and 45-minute class seem like just a few minutes, Father. It's, a, it's miraculous. Thank You for what You're not... Lord, it's not just that we're receiving information. We're receiving revelation and impartation so that we might do the work of the ministry. Father, truly, there are so many in our world today like sheep with no shepherd, scattered and weary, Thank You for laborers in this room, Lord, who are answering the call. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Praise God. You be blessed.